calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 22 Departures. Three metal chairs, a sofa that doubled as a cot, a console, a portrait of Andropov. Grecian's private quarters were austere not to say ascetic in their appointments, and dark. The residence was situated well inboard of the vessel's hull, for reasons of security, of course, but it meant no portholes, no natural light to soften the glare of the overhead spots or lighten the gloom beyond their cones of illumination. Outside it was still broad daylight, late afternoon, the westering sun just beginning to gild Rusalka's superstructure. Within this sanctum sanctorum at Rosalka's heart, it might as well be midnight. Sasha felt, rather than heard, the heavy steel door slide shut behind him and lock into place. He experienced a brief surge of panic, as though he were trapped in that other room again, the twin to this one in the foreign directorate's headquarters on the outskirts of Moscow, as though he were facing not the urbane Arkady Grigorievich Grishin, but Colonel Gromov once more, confronting once again all the brutal power of the KGB, with nothing to pit against it, no means of reclaiming his life from it, but a theory bordering on madness. A theory of how a black hole might have been, might yet be used to warp time itself. A theory summed up in a single mantra, it must be true, it will be true, for it has already happened. Sasha shook himself. The memory had passed. He was back on Rusalka, that other existence far away, fading into nightmare memory again. He turned his attention to the figure hunched over the console. Grishin was staring at his data wall, at what looked like visuals of Rusalka's chart room. You sent for me, Arkasha. Ah, Sasha. Come in and sit down. At a spoken command, the data wall went dark, save for a countdown box in its upper left corner. Grishin swiveled his chair around to face the desk and picked up a gleaming object that had been resting on its matte black surface. 
Here, have a look at this. A crystalline note rang out as the lopsided metal cylinder skittered across the desk. Sasha caught it just in time to keep it from rolling over the edge. Is this the probe that I was... that you retrieved the other night? Sasha rotated the object, squinting to make out the message cut into its distorted surface. But... but this is the go-ahead for capture. Why was I not advised? I informed Galina Mikhailovna and her team. I judged that sufficient. Still angry about that business with John on the bridge, then. Best steer away from that. For when is it? I can barely make it out in this light. Tonight. Grishin glanced at the countdown on its data wall. Some six hours from now. But this is wonderful news, Arkasha. Simply marvelous. Indeed. Indeed it is. But there are complications. I fear the time has come to say goodbye to your friends, Sasha. For goodbye, Grishin had not said Dosvidanya, literally, until we meet again. Instead, he had used the archaic Prashai, a word meaning farewell or adieu, with overtones of forgive me. Such an expressive language, Russian, marvelous in its subtle indirectness, Entire populations condemned to the camps in passive voice pronouncements discreetly omitting mention of those responsible. Even a death sentence need merely be hinted at. A thin film of sweat coated Sasha's brow. Arkady Grigorievich! This was stupid of you, Sasha. Grishin's hand slammed the desktop. Inexcusable! You knew we could not have outsiders aboard Rusalka once we entered the final phase. Sasha swallowed and began again. Had I known we were so close, Arkady Grigorievich, but who could have guessed before the probe arrived? Grishin appeared not to have heard. Sasha, I am very disappointed. What could you have been thinking? Jonathan Knox is an old friend, from a time when things were more... Simple. When he contacted me just before the gala, when I learned that he was bound for London, I, well, it was the heart that spoke, not the head. Sasha straightened a bit. Even so, we have hosted Americans on Rusalka many times, even as researchers in the public labs. Good cover, we decided. But never so late into the end game. No, my friend, you have left us with no recourse but a burial at sea. Sasha opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. Let it go, Sasha. Let Knox and his lady friend simply disappear. It is not as if they will hold it against you in times to come. But here, in this present, I have their blood on my hands. There must be some other way. Hear me well, Sasha. I will not compromise the security of this operation for the sake of sentiment. Already there have been unfortunate incidents. Galina's toast of the evening before? None too serious, I think. Sasha tried again. Could we not simply put them ashore? Where? In Great Britain? Even running at full speed, Rusalka is sixty-five hours out from Southampton. 
a round trip would mean a delay of more than six days, and the probe does not say next week. It says now. Grecian scowled. No, if you insist on preserving your friend's soon-to-be-meaningless existence, you must give me a real alternative. We could always airlift them out. I too had considered this. However, the coast of Europe is well beyond our helicopter's range. An airlift merely translates to a more elaborate and more expensive version of the sea burial. Unless you thought, perhaps, to call in a VTOL, Grishin smiled humorlessly. Sasha stared. A vertical takeoff and landing jet? Arkady Grigorievich thought big, given that much, but the helipad would buckle under its thrust. So you agree it is impossible? Wait, wait, there is another possibility. The Azores. It was Grecian's turn to stare coldly. Go on. Two and a half hours flying time, easily within helicopter range. Grecian hefted the probe cylinder absently. And the reason you would give for this abrupt departure? I will invent something plausible, Arkasha. Please believe. Knox may be puzzled, suspicious even, but there will be nothing he can do in the time left to him. The time left to any of us. Grecian tapped the metal cylinder against his teeth as he gazed into the middle distance, weighing alternatives. The tap-tap-tap was the only sound in the room. Sasha held his breath. The seconds display in the countdown box flickered in his peripheral vision. Tap-tap-tap. Finally, grudgingly, very well, see to it. Sasha rose, effusing thanks and reassurances. Inwardly, though, something was nagging at him. Something in Grecian's manner, in his tone of voice just now, hadn't seemed quite right. There was something he wasn't saying. He paused at the door and turned back, seeking to confirm the impression. But Grecian had already turned to his console again. The audience was over. Vodka wasn't supposed to give you hangovers. Knox's head was splitting, notwithstanding. Where was truth in advertising when you needed it? The poolside deck chair had been a good idea, though. The late afternoon sun was definitely helping. He'd missed out on the early afternoon sun, having risen only half an hour ago. And the sea breeze felt good on his fevered brow. Wild night. Good to know the Russians hadn't lost their ability to party hardy in the wake of communism's collapse. He frowned at a vague recollection of standing on his chair at the banquet table, declaiming Ruski Yazik, Turgenev's magnificent pain to the Russian language. Had he really done that? Good thing they hadn't got him started on the lay of the host of Igor. He broke off his reverie as a shadow fell across his face. Someone was standing over him, blocking the warmth of the sun. Maybe if he just kept his eyes closed and didn't move, they'd go away again. John, are you awake? The voice came from what, squinting, he now made out as a backlit, Sasha-shaped silhouette. What now? Can't a man just crawl off and die in peace anymore? John? Sasha sounded none the worse for wear, despite the night's carousing. 
I regret to disturb you, but something has come up. You know where is Mariana? This concerns her as well. Knox blinked his eyes against the bright sunlight and sighed. Grecian waited until Sasha had left, then spoke into the console's microphone. Run it again. In response, the image of the chart room swam back into view, accompanied by a conferencing inset filled with GEI security chief Merkulov's bloated face. And this is the recording from the night before last? Yes, comrade director. I must apologize for the delay in finding this, but the image analysis software that caught the anomaly is a low-level background function. It runs against offline dumps and then only in time available. A 40-hour backlog is nominal, considering. In any case, Merkulov hastened to get off the sticky subject of the time lag in detecting the incident. As you can see from the timestamp, the discrepancy begins about 10 minutes after midnight and continues for the next 55 minutes. I see no difference. Precisely. It is difficult to see, or we would certainly have caught it in real time. But watch, as I enhance this sector. A glowing rectangle sectioned off and zoomed in on that quadrant of the image, showing the flat-screen display hanging on the wall. What now filled the screen was a computerized chart of the North Atlantic, with a stylized ship symbol marking Rusalka's current position. Grecian peered more closely, and suddenly he saw it. Run that sequence again. At exactly 12.11 and 23 seconds by the timestamp, the little position marker suddenly jumped backwards along the line of Rusalka's course, nearly 500 miles backwards. This is our latitude and longitude, as they were 24 hours earlier. Are you certain it is not a navigation system error? No, comrade director. The charting software is not malfunctioning. Someone has tampered with the video cam signal. There is an almost imperceptible skip in the recorded image at the same transition point, just at the 0011 mark. And on close inspection, the date digit shows signs of having been altered from August 1st to August 2nd. One moment. Did you say between midnight and 1 a.m.? Akulov nodded. 0011 to 0103 hours, comrade director. Why? Is something wrong? They were straining at gnats after swallowing an elephant. He had paid his own visit to the lab in that same time frame, yet the recording failed to show it. No, nothing, Grecian said finally. The fewer who knew how close they were to their goal, the better. Comrade Director, I need not tell you that this incident represents a grave breach of security. Merkulov looked uncomfortable, as well he should. In such circumstances, procedure requires that, that is, may I inform your second in command as well? Absolutely not. Sasha has enough to occupy him at the moment. In any case, there is no need. I will see to the appropriate measures myself. He terminated the contact and sat back, thinking. In a way, it was good the Americans had turned out to be real spies. 
rather than foolish innocents who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sasha need never know that the outcome would have been the same regardless, that he himself had signed his friend's death warrants the instant he let them lay eyes on Galena. Grecian smiled grimly. Sasha need never know at all. As far as he was concerned, Knox and Peterson would be safe in London. There would be nothing to trouble his subordinate's mind or keep him from his work in these final days. The smile remained as he spoke into the microphone. Yuri, report to the residence, please. Time to see about those appropriate measures. A volcano? Mariana took John's hand and pulled herself out of the pool. You're kidding, right? Not me, him. He motioned to Sasha, standing a couple paces behind him. It's his story. Let him tell it. She turned to Sasha and raised an eyebrow. It is true, Mariana, he said. Only an hour ago, our remote sensor detected new volcanic venting in the rift. Indications are it could be Mount Venus herself. Venus was the highest undersea peak in the rift valley that bisected the mid-Atlantic ridge. Out there, the tectonic forces that had created the Atlantic to begin with were still active, still steadily ratcheting the old world apart from the new at the breakneck pace of almost an inch a year. For the most part, such seabed spreading took place without much fanfare. Every so often, though, things heated up. Literally. Sasha's scenario sounded plausible enough, but coming so near the appointed hour for the mysterious capture event, the timing was a tad too convenient. Still, she had to admit Sasha was putting his heart and soul into the performance. Imagine an event of such magnitude with us here to observe it firsthand, he beamed. We believe in time it could break the surface, become an island. And Rysalka had arrived just in time for the show. Things could not be more perfect, except... My friends, I am afraid this means you must cut short your stay with us as if she hadn't seen that one coming. Still, all she needed was one more night. It was worth a try. But it all sounds so exciting, she gushed. I mean, a whole new island? Oh, please, can't we stick around to watch? I regret not, Mariana. Rusalka must take up station at the site of the eruption, you see. Possibly for weeks. All depends, Sasha shrugged. No, best you follow your old American custom and go while the going is good. John surprised her then. Okay, Sasha, we'll be packed and ready to go first thing in the morning. Mariana knew he'd been less than enthusiastic about her return engagement in the clandestine lab that night, yet here he was, pushing to buy her the time regardless. No, no, John, sorry if you misunderstood. Even now, Rusalke is making full speed toward the epicenter. By morning... We will be 200 miles northwest of our present position and out of flight range of the Azores. Come to think, she'd noticed that course change. It was about an hour ago. She'd had to switch chaises or lose the sun. Was that part of the volcano ruse too? Or did whatever they were hunting lie in that direction? So, you see, Sasha went on, you really must go soon, within, um, 
a glance at his wrist top. Within the next three hours. You're really sure there's no choice? There are always choices, John. Some cost more than others. Sasha turned to go. Whoa, Sasha, hold on a minute. John grabbed his friend's arm. You don't just drop a line like that and leave. In the good old days, that kind of opener would have kicked off an all-nighter. Way to go, John. Sasha wasn't rising to the bait. Alas, in these brave new days, I have responsibilities to tend to still. He shook his head and sighed. But you are right too, John. Those were good days. He engulfed John in a sudden bear hug, then held him at arm's length, looking at his friend as if he might never see him again. Sasha's eyes were bright as he said, How I have missed those days, John. Missed talking as we did the other night on the bridge, talking so freely, so free of care. He released John and shuffled off, head down, wiping at his eyes. John looked after him for a long moment, then turned to her. Remember what you told me our first day aboard? Something about how nine-tenths of covert operations was contingency planning? She nodded, barely listening, still thinking about ways to compensate for the suddenly foreshortened schedule. Well, there was a strange look in his eyes. I think one of your contingencies just eventuated. This our ride, Sasha? Knox waved a hand at the colibri sitting silently on Rusalka's helipad. Yes, John. Horta in two, three hours. Would you like to stow that in the meantime? Sasha pointed to the knapsack riding high on Knox's back. Huh? Oh, no thanks. My handheld's in there somewhere. Thought I might dig it out and make a call to the home office en route to let them know I'll be in London a few days early. John, again, I am sorry for the rush. There truly was no choice. You can make up for it by naming your new island after us, Sasha. Knox was feeling anything but jocular. He was just joshing on automatic. It would have to be Jonathonia, though. There already are some Marianas, I believe. That's with one N, dear, Mariana said, poking him in the ribs. And they're in the Pacific, anyway. I could do with a namesake closer to home. Dearest John... Galina embraced him. I had so wished you to be present at this historic moment. Knox could feel her trembling in his arms. She was certainly worked up about something, though he doubted whether even the birth of a new Azor qualified as a historic occasion. And you, dear Mariana, a quick hug. Perhaps next time we sunbathe, you'll not be so... Galina wrinkled her nose and turned to Knox. How you say, Zastinchiva? Bashful, Knox supplied. Not so bashful, yes? Mariana blushed. Wish I had more to be bashful about. But maybe next time, provided we can lock the menfolk in the bridge for an hour or so. Send me email when you are settled, Sasha was saying. We should not wait half a lifetime again to get together. His parting bear hug was hampered by Knox's knapsack. What do you have in that thing, John? Pipe fittings? Telescope, Knox improvised. Not that there'll be much viewing off Canary Wharf. Well then, you must most definitely sail with us soon again. Out here, we always have stars. And you must join him, Mariana. We hope you'll come to see us in London first, Sasha, 
stars or no stars? Grecian had come up behind the group as they were saying their farewells. He extended his hand. So good to have met you, Mr. Knox. I look forward to welcoming you aboard again in future. Then in English to Mariana. And you, my dear, you too must return to Rosalka. My little boat is only half so beautiful in your absence. Knox frowned. Everything seemed so normal. Had he overreacted? But no. Over Grecian's shoulder, he could see one more figure slouching toward the helicopter, flashing that trademark steel grin of his. Gospodin Knox, Grecian switched back to Russian. I have asked Yuri here to accompany you to Horta. I trust it is no inconvenience. Despite modern telecommunications, at times we must still move atoms rather than bits around the globe. In this case, some seawater samples expected at Woods Hole the day after tomorrow. Sasha looked surprised at this, but said nothing. Knox swallowed. What wouldn't he give not to be right all the time? Still, keep up appearances. We would welcome Yuri's company, Arkady Grigorievich. By the time they were ready to depart, the sun was setting. The colibri powered up, its flashing rotors catching the last light of day. It lifted off, circled Rusalka, gaining altitude, then angled southeast in the afterglow. Yuri Viserionovich Geladze sat off by himself in a corner of the helicopter's passenger cabin. He sat in silence. He looked at the window, but not out of it. Between the interior lighting and the Stygian darkness outside, its glass was transformed into a mirror. From time to time, he looked at his watch. He stole a glance at the other two passengers. They were chattering away in English, a language not among Yuri's accomplishments. At most, he recognized the occasional word. Rusalka, London, that sort of thing. Of languages, Yuri knew only Russian and the tongue of his native Sarkatvilo, which the Westerners insisted on calling Georgia. But he did know how to read tones of voice and faces and gestures. By all these indicators, this pair seemed strangely agitated, almost as if they knew what lay in store. It might simply be his presence that unnerved them. Yuri was aware that he had this effect on people. Other than its occasional usefulness in business, he seldom gave it much thought. No matter. All over soon. He looked at his watch again, 10.25. The helicopter had been flying low, barely skimming the waves for the past twenty minutes, staying well under the Terceria radar. There would be no way to trace this flight back to Rusalka. Give it five more minutes, just to be sure. The man first, he thought. The man who had sent Yuri to fetch tea that night on the bridge, who had treated him like a common lackey. Then the woman. A waste, that. Perhaps he would have the colibri hold on station while he indulged himself with her first. He had not had such a beauty in some time. Women unaccountably did not like Yuri. A beauty. Yet something familiar about her, too. Where could he have... Time, or close enough. 
Yuri unbuckled his seatbelt, rose from his chair. The forty-five slid noiselessly from his shoulder holster. The couple stopped talking. Now naked apprehension showed on their faces. Good. No more of this polite nervousness. But the strangeness remained. Their reactions were still not quite appropriate. They seemed now less afraid than they should be. Perhaps they still did not see what was to come. This next part was ticklish. Grishin had instructed him not to soil the helicopter's interior with blood if it could be helped. Yuri took pride in his workmanship. The order would be carried out. Pointing the gun at the man, the greater threat, Yuri shouted, Door! Above the roar of the engine, one of his few English words. He made twisting and yanking gestures with his free hand. The man understood, though he looked sick. He went to the hatch, undogged it, shoved it back. Good. The woman was cowering to one side. The man was framed in the now open hatch. All Yuri needed to do was aim carefully, steady himself against the helicopter's bouncing, and the upholstery would not be bloodied. He grinned, broadly. Suddenly, he heard a shriek to his right. Not a scream of fright, more like a war cry. At the same instant, he glimpsed a blur of movement almost at shoulder height. Something or someone was hurtling horizontally through the air towards him. He was turning to bring the forty-five to bear on this new threat when his shoulder exploded in agony. He heard an awful snapping sound. The gun was jarred loose, went skittering across the floor. The man grabbed for it but missed. It flew out the open hatch into the night. Yuri howled. The bitch had broken his arm. Kicked him. Kicked him with all of her weight behind the blow somehow. Yuri ducked and a second kick only grazed his forehead. He would not be caught unawares again. He turned to face the woman. She was crouching in some sort of martial arts stance. No question now who represented the greater danger. Yuri had miscalculated, seriously, what he wouldn't give for his gun. He roared and lunged for the bitch, crashed hard into the seat back instead. As he screamed in rage, she delivered another blow, this time with the toe of her boot, this time to his ribcage. The pilot was having difficulty compensating for the sudden redistributions of weight. The copter tilted abruptly. The man fell out the open hatch. The woman hesitated a moment, then leapt after him. Sliding across the deck, Yuri snagged a seatbelt in his remaining good hand, managed to hang on. Cradling his arm, forehead bleeding, he stumbled to the door. He looked down fifteen meters to the heaving surface of the sea, but could make out no details in the dark. "'Lights!' he commanded hoarsely. "'Take us lower!' The pilot switched on the big spots and angled them down, illuminating a wilderness of waves. Then, there! The two of them, bobbing on the surface— the woman was struggling with the man's knapsack, trying to pull something out. Yuri dogged the hatch shut and climbed forward into the unoccupied co-pilot's seat, wincing as he jarred his shattered right arm. He strapped in and pressed a red button built into the frame of a flat-screen display. Two panels in the forward fuselage slid back to reveal a brace of machine-gun snouts. The colibri dropped all pretense of being a civilian aircraft and owned its true identity as a helicopter gunship. Strafing run! The machine gun's video sights were equipped with infrared. On the screen, in the crosshairs, images of two warm, fuzzy blobs stood out against the cold, dark water. What he wouldn't give right now for a rocket-propelled grenade or two. Yuri squeezed the trigger. The spotlit chop below pocked with splash craters as the slugs hit the water fast enough to ricochet. 
Now there was nothing to be seen. Did he get them? He looked in vain for bullet-riddled corpses floating amid the swells. Yuri ordered the pilot to circle. Circle again. The downdraft from the rotors kicked up the surf, obscuring what he most needed to see. Still nothing. No sign of the man or that devil woman. He ached to get them in the machine gun's crosshairs, especially her. He knew her now. Something in her voice, her stance. It was that bitch who tried to interfere with the extraction in New York. But he had seen her fall. Over the years, upwards of fifty men had died by Yuri's hand. He had never killed a woman before, other than under contract, of course. Certainly not in revenge. Revenge upon a woman would be uncultured, not in keeping with the code. Now, though, the devil with the mafia code. He longed to see the dark blood blossoms sprout on her brow as the slug sang into her brain case, wanted it so badly he could almost see the image forming on the sighting display. He saw nothing but churning, spotlit water. A minute went by. Five. Still the helicopter circled over the now-empty sea. Finally, the pilot protested. This is useless, Yuri Vissarionovich. Our fuel runs low. We must turn back to Rusalka now, or go on to Horta to refuel. They are dead in any case. If the bullets did not kill them, the Atlantic surely will. Yuri peered out into the darkness, considering. Grishin would want him back on board in the hours following the capture, not sitting at some devil-take-it airport in the Azores waiting for the night crew to refuel the copter. And... Yuri was not a stupid man. Stupid men do not last twenty years in the Sarkatvelo Mafia. Till now, it had seemed the two Americans were engaged in industrial espionage, pure and simple. But... With his recognition of the woman came a realization. The U.S. government was behind this. And it was not Yuri's place to decide what to do about that. Grecian would need to know, soon. Yet, if they were indeed being stalked by Krom, he ought not to break radio silence to report that fact. And... His arm throbbed in agony. It would require attention soon if Yuri was to be of any use in the crucial hours ahead. All these reasons. Good reasons. Still, for a long moment, prudence warred with murderous vindictiveness, the brain versus the blood. Then, he turned to the pilot. With his uninjured hand, he traced a single arc in the air and then pointed back the way they came. He scowled. Devil take them! Circle once more, then we go. The helicopter executed one more slow, fruitless circuit of the dark sea, and then arced off back toward the northwest, back toward Rusalka. As it departed, the roiled black waters of the North Atlantic subsided again into gentle, empty swells. Listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.